Welcome to Scrolling to Death. I'm Nikki, and today I'm joined by Alex Fraser, Director of the Council for Responsible Social Media at Issue One. And in this role, Alex leads the Cross-Partisan Council of Political, Civic, Public Health, Business, and National Security Leaders, working to address the threats that social media platforms pose to American society. So Alex, welcome, and thank you for being here. Thanks so much, Nikki. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Let me first admit to you, Alex, I worked on the wrong side of social media for over 10 years. So I ran a social media management company for tech businesses around the globe. A few years into that, I started having kids and posting my kids and like most moms, spending way too much time and getting way too much value from social media. Uh, so probably around 2018, 19, that veil started to lift and I realized that personally, social media was making me feel worse. And I was exposing my kids' lives on there. Like, for what? Is it benefiting them? I started asking myself all kinds of questions. And worst of all, I was making a ton of money, you know, manipulating other people's decisions through social media content and ads. So I started doing research on how social media addiction works. And I found the staggering rates of depression and suicide in the people who use social media the most, which is our youth. Long story short, I felt compelled to flip the script in my own life and move to the right side of social media and educate parents and adolescents on the dangers so that we can all protect our children's mental health. So that led to this podcast. And I start with my story today because I think it's so interesting to learn how people got to be involved in a space that is the minority and can be an isolating space to be and can feel like you're the only one that thinks this way. So I would love to learn what brought you to work in digital advocacy. Thank you so much for the question. And Again, thanks for having me on the show today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Congratulations to you for for having that epiphany. Thank you. A lot of people go through life and and know something's wrong, feel like something's off, mm-hmm. don't get it, and don't take that next step to to do the critical thinking and go deeper and then try to actually make a change in the world. So yeah. So for me, the story of how I ended up in this space begins with a bigger issue of democracy. And my previous life and careers, I've, I've worked on international affairs and international democracy around the world. I helped I worked at the State Department for a long time trying to help U.S. Uh, ensure that democracy was a stable system around the world. Mm-hmm. And I left that in 2017, went and worked in education policy and politics out here in California for a long time, trying to help our kids uh, find better education. And then saw our own democracy falling into disarray in a way that I observed a lot of the other countries that I worked on for many years. And I said, I got to get back into that. And I got to, I got to, I got to find a way to use the skills and the knowledge that I've, I've gained over these years to try to find a way to make an impact on American democracy, Mm -hmm. but where to start, what, what to focus on, what to do, did a lot of research, a lot of thinking. And one of the core issues that I was most concerned with was the information ecosystem and mm-hmm. disinformation, the ways yeah. in which our, our information environment is exploited. And, and that led me down a deeper and deeper uh, stream of information about what, uh, all the things that are happening in tech and really just unpacking that further. So so from that, I did a lot of uh, networking and reaching out to folks in this space and found my way to issue one, which was about to launch this new program mm-hmm. about tech reform and accountability, which started with the impacts of this space on democracy, but quickly we realized was much bigger than that. We had to focus much more broadly and the impact of children was front and center to all that, which has yep. for me as a parent, I have two young, beautiful daughters. So this is obviously central, central to my heart as it is to yours, mm-hmm. but there's major implications for the future of democracy as well. 
I was reading on the website for the Council of Responsible Social Media. It states, so social media promised to build a more interconnected and informed world, but now the harms the platforms are causing are exceeding the promise of greater improved conversation and global connectedness and American democracy is at stake. So can you tell me what, in your view, are the biggest harms of social media that parents need to be aware of their kids getting exposed to? Yeah, absolutely. So you're sitting next to your child. They're looking down at this this screen. Mm-hmm. They're going into these these worlds, these rabbit holes, these other parallel universes. You have no idea where they're going, right? And it's hard to understand it. And when you hear the you know the worst examples of people who who lost their children to yeah. this stuff, you understand where this where this can go and in the extreme. So one is they get fed a lot of terrible content based on algorithmic recommendations, yeah. based on little, frequently little or no choices of their own. There are plenty of studies out there that talk about um, people starting brand new accounts as a 13-year-old girl that's a fake account to see what's fed to them. And after limited clicks on something benign, quickly eating disorder content shows up, self-harm content shows up, and all kinds of other terrible stuff. So so that's number one. Number two, uh, you're getting... Bullying, cyberbullying is it, bullying's been around forever. Kids have been are mean, and and, and it's, it's a really difficult thing f- growing up, and all the things that happen to us. But yeah. when you take away the emotion of that face to face encounter, and you you physically see that you've harmed someone with your bullying, that that goes away with the screen, right? And mm-hmm. people do this indiscriminately; they do it uh, anonymously. So, in the case of someone you're going to interview soon, Kristen Bride, her son Carson was anonymously cyberbullied ad nauseum and took his own life because of that. Right. There's worse. There's other other examples too of, of things that happen here, including people being uh, sextorted, mm-hmm. people being lulled into situations that are really, really awful and uh, trafficking and including in that. So there's, yeah, it could go, could go a lot further, sadly, but that's sort of the, the, the sort of spectrum. Yeah. And, and let's touch on the sextortion. I know rates have been going way, way up specifically and especially on Snapchat, but across the board. Yesterday, I interviewed uh, Bill Brady, who's the CEO of a company called Trumi, and they have uh, kids-safe phones. So you've heard of like Trumi, Bark, Pinwheel. And so we talked about the rates of sextortion. And uh, for listeners, sextortion is when a person is coerced into sending a nude photo online and then asked for money or the nude photo will be shared with the victim's followers. And I post about this on Instagram and people are like, they'll never share it. I hear from literal people that have experienced this and it gets shared. People that have lost college opportunities over this and and then also um, died by suicide because of these situations. I was talking with Bill at Trumi and he was telling me about they have the AI functionality with their Trimmy phones to recognize a nude photo that's being tr- that's trying to be sent and to remove it so they don't let it hmm. send. And I, I wasn't aware of this functionality and I asked him, like, wh- then why won't Meta or Snap use this same AI functionality to stop the nude photos from going back and forth? Their community guidelines clearly state that nudity is not allowed. So if the technology exists to disallow it, why don't they invest in it? And I, I just wonder what your thoughts are on this and generally like why big tech doesn't seem to give a shit about investing in protecting our kids. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. I, I, so wonderful to hear that that his technology can do that, and and that's mm-hmm. part of baked into the baked into the the systems because yep. all of this is about design, right? All of this the challenges we face come back to design and this product that is created to keep your eyeballs glued to it as long as possible. And that's the other part about the broader harms to kids, right? Is like the reason why all that stuff that we talked about before in a nutshell and in a small microcosm is bad, but it's the, 
the endless scroll, the ad nauseum way in which people spend time on here because it's addictive, because they're they're pushed to do that by the design yeah. features of the technology. So to answer your question, why would they not do that? I don't, I can't say specifically why Meta, Snap and others would not use that if they had the ability to. All I can say is that what's clear from the recent whistleblower from Francis Haugen's testimony a couple of years ago, from mm-hmm. all the, the details we find leaking out from the attorney's general lawsuits, uh, et cetera, is that they always put profit above safety. They always put their sh- their shareholders and the profits above the health of our kids. That is the bottom line. So I'm not going to speak to this specifically, understand why or what they have available to to stop that from being shared. But my guess is that mm-hmm. wherever wherever friction is created in the system, wherever there's anything that causes you to have to stop and pause to, to instead of a, an instant share or an instant um, repost, yep. um, they are tr- they're not going to prioritize that. That's Sort of the best way I can answer that is never going to be the priority. Yeah. Until we can regulate and force them to make that a priority. Until it is. Because here at the end of the day, it's like this. So literally, Mark Zuckerberg has a fiduciary responsibility to his shareholders to put profits above all else. That is that is literally in his um, like legal requirements under under the, the as, a, as a CEO of a publicly traded company. Yeah. Until the, the, the equation is flipped and we say as society, there will be f- penalties if you break these rules and these laws such that the penalties will hurt your company way more than it will help you to make that little extra margin of profit. They won't change their behaviors. The patterns won't shift. You're seeing now in Europe, the patterns are starting to evolve because of the Digital Services Act that um, that was passed there and, and how that is going to change change things in Europe. It's, starting, it's just beginning to be implemented. So we're seeing mm-hmm. some positive results, but that's the bottom line here. So we're never going to see those real changes and refocus the priorities unless uh, they're forced to. Right. What I try to do is educate parents about these risks and that we already talked about. And as a parent myself, I learn these risks and I think I'm not letting my kids on there until it's way safer for them. And I'm also going to monitor my own use and use it for for good and for business only. But so many parents are not making that decision, whether they don't know the risks or they know them and they don't care or prioritize those risks or think that it could happen to them. And so I think it does come down to regulation. Tell me about what solutions you're working towards on behalf of the Council for Responsible Social Media. Yeah, absolutely. So to one point to that is we as parents, we know that our kids are first and foremost our responsibility and is our job to protect yeah. them. Like t- I literally said to my daughter the other day, she was trying to do something that, you know, something she shouldn't do. And I said, it's daddy's responsibility to make sure you're safe. That's why we can't do this. That is the first thing we have to do when we wake up in the morning, Nikki, right? Like, yeah. so, but these products are created in such a way that the design is baked in that makes it so much harder. So parents, yes, it is our responsibility to do that first and foremost, but we need help. Mm -hmm. We need some support and we need the system to be reoriented where the technology is not so harmful and we need our government to step up to to actually answer that call. And to that end, what solutions are we working on? So with respect to kids, uh, let me actually just take a step back before I go into specific bills and say, the Council for Responsible Social Media, a bipartisan group of leaders, as you noted, came together with this broader imperative to reform the tech sector, first and foremost, thinking about the impacts on democracy, but where we really, as we analyzed it more deeply, we came onto this this sort of, this focus on three three to four core areas of work. Number one is the impact on our kids, the impact and implications for our kids, not just for themselves, but for the, the sake of our democracy as well. Secondly, the implications on U.S. national security and the ways in which f- foreign actors, terrorist organizations, and, and other bad actors are exploiting these platforms for their own ends 
Beyond that is the implication for our democracy and the ways in which this undermines the core pillars of all the things that we care about as Americans and what we want to see for our system. And how do you how do you do all that? Like, how do you fix all that? So it's such a big problem. And the thing is, it's such an embedded thing in society. So uh, we're focused on a few different pieces of legislation around uh, and mostly in Washington, but also around the country. Mm-hmm. The first one and for kids and for your listeners, they'll care most about is the Kids Online Safety Act. Yeah, right. There's been no federal legislation to sort of regulate the internet uh, since the 1990s, and which 96, is- I think. Yeah, it's just insane. Crazy. <laughs> think about that. Uh, the uh, what was what was the internet like in 1996? What was the 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 world that we live in in 1996 compared to now? And mm-hmm. the reason nothing's happened is for a reason because these companies came and at the beginning everyone thought they were wonderful. They were breaking they were breaking norms. They were you know they're great tools for us to to Google search to connect with friends to. Yeah. Uh, do all these things to for for journalists to get on Twitter and and be able to find information at, at a rapid clip, mm-hmm. um, but quickly they've devolved into to different things and and they still have a lot of great value, but the the negatives are way outweighing the positives right now. Yeah. So yeah, so the Kids Online Safety Act is one that we're focused on. There's another bill that we're formally endorsed called the Platform Accountability and Transparency Act, which is about the okay. fact that there is no window into what's happening behind the screen behind the curtain of Mm -hmm. the platforms there's a giant black box what is what is the algorithm what is what are the different uh ways in which they're deciding to promote content and do things how much bad content is being removed uh they they share all kinds of statistics all the time and say here's here's all the things we've done to help you we've we removed this many terrible pieces of hate-filled content or whatever but they don't tell you what the denominator is out of out of how many and we've found that they're underreporting that information to us based on the Correct. whistleblowers' information. Yeah. So, so. There, so there's these are critical pieces of the puzzle. Kids, uh, making sure that kids are safe online is that number one. Making sure we have a, a look behind the screen at what is actually going on. So, and having the platforms not grade their own homework, but having independent actors do that. And the PADA, the Platform Accountability and Transparency Act, would would take steps towards that. Okay. Uh, in addition, we those are the only two bills the council has formally endorsed at this moment, but we're we're actively working on other issues and and are looking into other other places where we will put our energy in in 2024 and beyond. We care a lot about data privacy. It's another mm-hmm. critical piece of the puzzle. There's no comprehensive data privacy legislation in the United States. We care care about the regulatory framework and the ways in which the government has the ability to actually check and the balance and of power of big tech and currently uh, the FTC and other organiz- other uh, organizations are doing that, but we don't have a, a dedicated agency, for example, to focus on big tech and AI. And that is, you know, the next terrain. One last anecdote to the point we were discussing earlier about mm-hmm. um, sextortion. Yeah. So sextortion, terrible. It's so awful. All the things that are happening. Yeah. And that's frequently based on a decision that someone makes, someone with a you know a child with an underdeveloped brain, et cetera. Right. But with AI, with generative AI and other other tools, yeah. what we're seeing now is that they people can just take a photo of you off of Instagram that fully clothed and then create a, a fake nude and then do the same thing without you ever having had made that terrible decision. So there's just so much more at stake because of the sort of scale of this and the exponential growth and speed of technology. Yeah, and there's questions about it's technically not illegal to just create a um, nude photo that is not an actual nude photo. I spoke with Leah Plunkett, uh, a Harvard professor who wrote a book called Sharonhood, and she said, 
you know, that is very tricky. It's obviously illegal to share a nude photo of someone underage that is a true nude photo of them. But these high school boys that was reported in New Jersey taking photos of girls at their high school and removing the clothing and sharing them back and forth, it's difficult to know how to what to do about that because regulation legislation is not caught up to that issue. Yeah, absolutely. I've done some research on COSA specifically, and I know when I look it up, there's some pushback and and I hear things like um, limiting free speech. So what is the pushback and what should parents kind of keep in mind when looking up these these bills? Well, the first thing I would say here, let me tell you what's in it before we talk about yeah, what the pushback yeah, has been. So, yeah. so again, nothing's been done since the 1990s and we see all the harms that are happening online. Um, what this does, think about other industries. When you buy a car, there's a duty of care that the car, you know that the manufacturer is going to do certain things to make sure that you don't turn the key and on day one, your car explodes or you know that there's a Food and Drug Administration who's going to verify and make sure that that we don't just eat poisonous materials at large yeah. because of the standards requirements. There is no duty of care around technology in the same way. So the, the most important piece of this legislation is the duty of care, which requires platforms to prevent or mitigate children from seeing the worst stuff, the absolute worst stuff that you and I were talking about before, yeah. the self-harm content, the eating disorder content, substance abuse. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to take steps to mitigate uh, things, addictive features like the endless scroll or stop allowing inappropriate advertisements to minors. There's plenty of examples of really, you know, violent and sexual content being uh, ads. On YouTube kids even. Yep. On YouTube kids. I know. I don't. Yeah, exactly. I have a whole episode on YouTube kids. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and it would make the safety, uh, the safety features be the strongest by default, as you and I both know as parents, like when you're trying to go into the app or in, you're on your, your TV and you're like, okay, I want to, I want to turn off autoplay. Mm-hmm. Like I just tried to do this the other day, turn off autoplay on Disney plus. And I went in there into, into the app uh, on my TV and I was like, oh, you need to go, you need to go into your computer and log on, log into this. I'm like, mm. yeah, I probably could do it from my phone too, but I couldn't do it from the TV itself. Right. So. So they, they make it, all this stuff is by design mm-hmm. intentionally to make it harder for us to get off of them. Yeah. In addition, COSA would allow kids to opt out of algorithmic recommendation systems, which are Great. arguably the most problematic elements of all of this. Make it the most addictive or one of the ways Correct. that it becomes so addictive. Yeah. Correct. And and also it's one of the ways in which some of the worst stuff gets boosted, right? The, the, all the stuff we were talking about before. Right. So- that's what's in there. That's what this would do. The only arguments against number one is there's a free speech argument that people use anytime you want to see uh, any tech reform pass, which is that anything passed against any any sort of reform mm-hmm. would require the platforms to remove content, would make them have to go over over and above to moderate content, mm-hmm. which would undermine the First Amendment. There's that is the first argument against it. And there's a lot of extreme, what I would call free speech expansionism, that first amendment expansionism that has sort of been baked into any, any argument against any tech reform bill. So that's, that's the first argument people make. Yep. The second argument people make is around the impact on LGBTQ communities. And this comes from a good place, but it's very misguided. And basically it started, it really came from uh, opposition last year. There was a letter sent out around this issue, but the bottom line is that that there were some concerns that this bill could be inadvertently used and weaponized against these communities. Yeah. Didn't one of the senators say something wrong a few months ago? That's correct. Yeah. 
the statement was actually not in relation to the bill at all. Okay. So the headlines were misleading. Yes, which is very common in the space. Um, okay. the, the bottom line really is this, is that LGBTQ persons are some of the most vulnerable and harmed online. Yes. Cyberbullying, other things impact that community and other communities much worse than than a lot of other places. Right. And so this bill would do a lot more to protect them than it would to harm them. And these arguments, which are, are touted by some groups that are very closely aligned to tech platforms, mm-hmm. what we see is a constant tactic of throwing out things like this to try to obfuscate and really try to stop any sort of reform that's going to hit the tech platforms. Yeah, because people will just jump on that bandwagon. What can parents do to support if they do the research on COSA or listen to this and decide they want to help support this bill going forward? What can they do? Um, There's two things. One is I would say go to passcosa.org, which is a website that us and a bunch of coalition partners who are in support of this. And it's a broad coalition you'll see on there. So I'd say go to that and check out the information. Um, The second thing is call your senator. Uh, We need people to call their senators and say that they want them to pass and support this bill. Uh, We've got almost half of the U.S. Senate has endorsed this legislation, uh, co-sponsored it, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, it's just, it's so close. It needs a floor vote in the Senate. It will pass with, I would guess, 80 plus votes. Um, we did some polling that came out two weeks ago. 86% of the electorate supports COSA. Amazing. 86%. You know, we are where we are and the risks are huge. And so in the meantime, would you if your children were of age to be using social media, kind of delay that decision and keep them off of social media until it is reasonably safer and there's some more regulation? I would. Yeah. So I, I talked to someone recently who's a one of the chiefs like science officers at one of the big medical associations and I will I asked them what they did with their kids. And mm-hmm. this is a person who talks about the brain function and how how we're impacted and, and the ways in which uh, this technology really has impacted our development physically as well as uh, emotionally. And this person told me that no social media for their kids, none. And and that's you know I, I, have, I my kids are 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 two and uh, three months, so oh. so I I don't have to make I don't have to make this call oh. quite yet for for them. Right. But for for my, the way I feel right now is if if my daughters were. 13 and 15, mm-hmm. uh, I would, I would say absolutely not. And yeah. uh, to this, because I just could not feel like I was doing my primary duty and responsibility as a father. If, if I were to allow them on there. Yeah, I agree. My kids are eight and under. And so I have some time as well, but I'm, I'm on the same page. I recently messaged Arturo Behar, the meta whistleblower and asked him straightforward if his daughter wasn't already on Instagram, would he allow his teenage daughter to use Instagram? And he said, it's not safe for those for kids age 13 to 15 at a minimum, uh, based on what they get exposed to the people and content that they get exposed to. So 15 at a minimum. And really, I'm the more leaders in this space and experts that I talk to are waiting. I've also talked to parents who waited and didn't give it to their kids till their kids were 18. And then when their kids got on at 18, they kind of went crazy with it. So I think you have to be communicating about the risks when you make this decision. Make sure your kids understand why and make sure your kids are prepared for how they're going to use it as an adult, right? Do you have any advice around that? Yeah, no, it's a great point. And I I said, I, I, feel what I said before, I stand by that statement that I, at this moment, the way this technology is, I would have to say no. Right. But the, the point your friend you you made is that exactly right. That mm-hmm. um, once they, you know, go off to college or go off to work or leave your home and they're not, you're not there to have those, that same level of dialogue. 
it's a different ball game. And an example, one of my best friends from from graduate school, when he went off to college, his parents basically didn't let him have sugar, <laughs> and he goes off his first first year of college and gets like eight cavities. Yeah. So there, that's real. And I I would just say that you have to have these conversations. You have to be thoughtfully talking. You can't just say no. Period. You have to help them understand your reasoning. Yeah. Share with them data. Um, someone I know talks about how they go into apps and they show people, show their kids what the app is actually doing. Hey, this benign weather app, what do you think this app does? Oh, it just tells me what the weather is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does that. But what else is it doing? It's tracking your data. It's tracking your location. It's sharing the information of, of the your data across apps. And it's tracking all of that so that it can sell it to other people right. so they can use that and monetize it. Similarly, with all the stuff that you and I are talking about today, all these terrible things that are showing up in people's feeds, you need to talk through why why that is. But at the end of the day, the, the constant argument is your kids are going to be ostracized if you don't let them on. Right. And what I've heard is there's no data to suggest that the harm, like there is an actual quantitative harm to those kids that are not, that are being left off mm-hmm. as where the data is very clear, very clear that kids who are on these platforms are more depressed, are more likely to, to harm themselves and are uh, much more vulnerable. Right. So what's more important that your kid might feel ostracized or that they are healthy mentally and physically. And I hear time and time again, kids that are 18, 20 saying to their parents, thank you for keeping me away from that because I see how it's affected my friends. And I'm grateful to you for limiting that for me or making that decision for me. Yeah. Okay. So I know that individual state laws are being implemented in this space. Like Utah became the first state to enact laws limiting how children can use social media. So requiring age verification. Other states are following suit. It feels like the pressure is really heating up on Meta, particularly with dozens of states suing Meta and the new whistleblower and the latest Wall Street Journal report finding that Meta was pushing content sexualizing children and advertising within this content. So do you feel like we're heading in the right direction with regulating big tech? Do you feel like we're almost there? I said to someone the other day, I really feel like we're in the middle of a moment we will remember historically as like the beginning of the breaking of this dam. And, you know, there, you know, look back in history and other big industries, the trust busting era and other other times where it felt like things would never change, but they eventually did. And I, I mm-hmm. do believe we are at the, really at the, the forefront of that moment. As you noted, 42 attorneys general, right? 42 suing Meta, yep. uh, alleging that Facebook and Instagram are addictive and, and harming kids. Yep. Um, they're using creative uh, methods to sue them. There's also nearly 200, I think it may be over 200 now, school districts around the country have joined forces to sue multiple platforms, including Facebook, including Instagram. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, so this is there and they're also trying to use creative, creative methods. They're not just saying it's harmful content. They're saying it's costing them money. It's costing these school districts dollars. They have to pay for additional resources to support these kids' mental health issues. Right. So yes, I think we I think we are in a moment, but it don't do not be fooled that it will be easy. Right. Uh, because these platforms have so much money, so much power, and for decades basically they got to operate with impunity because people just saw the upside and didn't see the downside. Now we're in this really unique moment uh, where that is flipped. And as I noted, you know, 87% of the electorate really believes it's important for Congress to take action to combat the harms caused by social media platforms. So what else in the country, what other issue in this polarized world has the support of 86% of Trump voters and 88% of Biden voters? Like nothing. Right. And yet is taking forever to, to pass anything. It shows where the power is. 
the power is there. It's the system's hard to get through. It's much easier to to kill bills than it is to create them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, the public opinion is so strongly in favor of reform that I believe something will happen in the next years, and it's going to be a piece by piece process. And COSA, for example, will not will not solve the problem. Will not fix everything. It will do a lot of really good stuff for our kids and yeah. for our our country, but it goes nowhere near far enough. Right. And for parents who are listening, does it make a difference for us to be limiting our children's social media use. So just simply in the number of users going down in this lo- in this younger age group, does that make a difference? It can feel like what can we really do? And yes, we can, you know, call our state senators and support legislation and make those decisions within our family that are safer. So what I would say is a couple of things. One is we have to live in the reality that is right now. Yeah. And we have to do the best we can as parents right now to protect our families. Yeah. So that is, you know, number one by the decisions you should make as a parent in this individual moment. As you think about something bigger in reform, uh, I think it is very easy to to think you're, you're such a small fish in a very big pond of so many, you know, the big tech and all the money they have. Mm -hmm. And, and there's truth in that, of course, but no, every single one of you listening, every single person out there has power, has agency to do something. And it can be as little as calling your Senator. It can, it can be much bigger than that. You can organize your communities around this issue, around this bill, around many, many things. So there's lots of ways and lots of opportunities to get plugged in and involved to to support. Um, so I, I don't think, I think that to answer your specific question, should you pull your kids off just for the bigger fight? I think that's a that's a personal choice. I don't think that, I think if everyone goes off, then yes, like we're going to see a, a, a very different scenario, but um, you can only yeah. really demand change through your actions. And so that is one action that could be positive for sure. You mentioned schools, and I wanted to talk about our super hot topic, which is phone bans in schools. And just, I know you worked for the California Chartered Schools Association. 80% of U.S. schools have prohibited non-academic use of phones during school hours, and one in four countries have laws or policies banning phones in schools. Um, I posted about this on Instagram. It's like got 3.5 million views every day, like hundreds of thousands of more views and comments and people have very strong opinions on all sides, um, mostly in favor. I wonder where you're at with phone use in schools, if you have any opinion on that topic. Yeah, um, it's not something we're working on on the council, just to be to be clear, but I personally do have a lot of thoughts about it. And okay, I, I'd say that um, I'm a fan of anything that's going to help our kids learn. Mm-hmm. And the distraction of these devices is such that um, it's a big problem for their education. That's very clear from all the evidence. It's hard to implement. There's like a, there's logistical and lo- legit under- yes. uh, challenges of how do you how do you do this? How do you execute it? A lot of smart people at the school districts can come up with ways to do that. I'm sure. So I'm I'm generally in favor of it, but that's not going to fix the problem. You know, at the end of the day, there's, it's not gonna it's not gonna fix the overarching problem. It's the the deeper design decisions about how these platforms work that we've talked about already that are really the, the root of the problem. Yeah. That said, uh, you know, of a neighbor across the street who's got several teenagers and we love to talk about soccer, which we are all big fans of. And they'll tell me, Oh, I was at school yesterday and I watched the whole, the whole match during my class. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. The, I mean, great that you got to see the, the, your team play, but that's horrible for your education. You spent, you know, an hour and a half in class watching something on your phone. Your teacher didn't clue into that. Yes. I hear that all the time at my children's school. Uh, they have iPads in their classes starting in kindergarten and these iPads have Safari internet access. And I've talked to the district about it. It's very, very difficult to remove that from the iPad entirely. 
and you can go on youtube.com, adult YouTube, you can go on nfl.com, you know, and there's all, yeah, kids watching football games in class. The school district that I reported on in Florida reports less bullying, more engagement and different benefits of it. And, but there's teachers in the district and parents in the district saying it's not working well, actually the kids are getting access to their phone. So it's a touchy subject and it's tough. And I get, I get a lot of the concerns parents would have at the end of the day Yeah, when I was in school, I think you and I are probably similar-ish age. So when we were in school, didn't have a cell phone. If someone, if my parent really needed me at school, they could call the school. The school would find me very quickly. Yeah. It, you know, it was fine. And right. we, we, we survived. So I think there's, you know, this goes into the system of uh, hyper, hyper parenting and all the things that um, helicopter parenting, all the stuff that we have become accustomed to um, and the challenges that come with that. So I think parents have to let go a little bit too. And uh, I talk about helicopter parenting on an episode that launched this week called um, The Teenage Brain Explained with Nicola Morgan, who's the teenage brain woman. And she talks about preferring safety net parenting. And she talks about, you know, just being their safety net, not doing things for them, but allowing them to fall in a safe way. So I encourage listeners to listen to that episode. I would love to also talk a little bit about your thoughts on sharenting. So um, you may have heard of this term. So this is coined for adults who share their children's information, image online. Personally, I stopped posting my kids online due to the digital privacy risks uh, nearly four years ago. And it was especially interesting to learn that um, these big tech executives largely do not post their own children on social media. So I wonder after all your work and research, like what approach you are taking to sharing your kids online and how, kind of how you feel about the topic of sharenting. Yeah, very personal decision. And it's so tough for people because I think when you think about what the good can be and is on social media, you think about, oh, I love seeing the update about my friend and their life. I, this person I went to college with or high school with that I haven't seen in years, but I love to get that little glimmer of what's going on in their life. The kids is first among that, right? I personally have chosen to basically not post at all my daughter, my daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, they're two and a half and and, and three months, as I, as I mentioned. And I posted, I believe when my eldest daughter was born, I did a post with her photo and announcing the birth. I have not done that yet for my youngest daughter. I think I will, because otherwise one day she might look back at my feed and, and see that I posted about her big sister and not about her and I'll be in big trouble. But, um, I feel like right now that's it for me. Um, maybe, maybe an occasional one here and there, but I'm not going to be doing it. And I don't, I'm not judging people who do it because right. No, no. Yeah. Judgment free zone for sure. No, it's It's the norm. Most people do it. It is. But I, and I also know way more than the average person about this stuff. Right. And the harms that it, that it can cause. Um, and I think if more people understood and pulled back the veil of understanding what was going on with all these images, all the data, they would maybe Mm -hmm. think twice about it as well. But, um, for me, it's, it's at this point, it's a choice that we're, we're not posting basically anything about our daughters. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I did announce my first two on social media. I did not announce my third. And there's people that don't even know she exists, which is totally fine. If I, if you are close enough with me, we are texting or I'll share something. I'll share photos with you via text. Or we have a sh- family shared album on our iPhones that family can see updates there. So there's plenty of other options. It's been helpful to share stories of 
when things went wrong with sharing kids online, sharing a specific story of a mom who was sharing her daughter's and the daughter's photos got stolen and uh, ended up on um, child sexual abuse websites. That also has gotten almost a million views and so many women sharing it, mostly women, some, not a lot of dads, mostly moms sharing it and saying like, this is why I don't post my kids online or now I won't post my kids online. Asking me, um, what do I do now? I don't want to post them anymore and I actually don't want them on here. Should I go through and delete everything? So I think there is a wave of people kind of better understanding the risks. And when it comes to social media and posting kids and all of this, I think it's all about understanding the risks of all of it and then being intentional with your decisions. Yeah, right? yeah I think that's right. And getting the information, learning and grappling with it um, with intentionality, I think really is the point. So knowing, yeah. going with clear eyes about what you're, what that could mean. What's your personal approach to using social media in adulthood? Like, are you using LinkedIn for business or what are you kind of um, doing? I'm using just LinkedIn and Instagram solely to promote the, this podcast and there's no crossover really between my personal life and online activities. So where are you at with that? Yeah. So I, I have a LinkedIn account and that I rarely post to. I, I think I probably, I think people would tell me I probably should post more on there uh, for, for purposes of helping support our work. So I, that's, but I do a limited amount there. Uh, yeah. I still technically have a Facebook account. I basically never go on there anymore. Yeah, um, I think that's mostly the case with with most people. Yeah, I and there, there's there's things about that that I miss, right? Like I, I definitely miss people's birthdays, and I definitely miss seeing some of those photos. But the, the harms way out outweigh the, the the upside for now. Um, and then I have I have an Instagram account, and a, and that I go on less. I have a like very, very limited amount of time on there too. I mostly go on there because my wife sends me messages that are from the, the good stuff, like parenting, parent, yeah, parenting gurus so. who are, who are like telling us how to make sure that our kids are eating right. And things, mm -hmm. th th great examples of thoughtful parenting and approaches. There's so many good things like that on there. That's a, that's the, that's the issue is there is a lot of that great content. Yeah. So I, I go on, she's, she's on there more than I am. And I go on there to, to read mostly her messages and, and to, yeah. to see uh, some of that. But, but I spend you know, less than 10 minutes a day on anything, like mm -hmm. very, very limited. And I think that's a good point too. If you, you're using your social media platform for good, then I think you're in the clear. Like if we all just used the platforms for good, but the problem is there's so many bad people in the world. And I've been exposed to a lot of these bad people through my research around tech and social media use. And even if everyone, everyone in the world just did nothing but good on social media as it currently exists, that would only reduce some of the issues because the, okay. the again, you okay. have to remember it's the design features of the platform that are the problem. And so even if we all did went there and just did good, just uplifted positive content, et cetera, and there weren't any predators and other, you know, explicit individuals who were doing the harming stuff intentionally, mm -hmm. it's still mm -hmm. gonna do so much of the negative stuff it's doing to our society, our democracy. It's gonna polarize us because of the way the algorithms work and push up extreme content in order to make us stay on the site, keep our eyeballs focused on the platforms. It's tough. It's so hard because it's ubiquitous in society and you feel like you're missing out. You know, I've heard examples of people say, I, you know, I, I missed someone's death and I didn't, I wasn't able to respond to this friend because they assumed that I would do it. So I saw them two months later and they were baffled that I didn't know that their mom had passed away. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I get it. Uh, but that's, yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's gotta be, we can't have social media being, um, our number one primary form of communication. And for young people, it is. And so, you know, in our generation, 
we're lucky enough to grow up in a time where that wasn't, and we can still keep those relationships up and on different platforms and in person. So hopefully with some more regulation and some shifts in mindset, we can get back to um, having healthier relationships and experiences online. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a world that exists in which these platforms enable us to connect deeply and take that offline, right? Like they help facilitate offline interactions in really healthy ways, uh, bringing communities together. Um, you know, there's things like GoFundMe pages, you know, there's, there's all kinds of beautiful things that have happened because of social media. But at the end of the day, again, the, the harms so, so heavily outweigh the, the positives right now that we have to flip the equation or it's not, it's just not worth it. Yeah. We're trying to find a way to really make reforms and, and cause positive change in, in this world and, and through the sector. And so I would just say that we'd love for you folks to check us out and um, follow issue one on we, it, my organization t- t- does a lot of platform stuff because we need to, as an organization to do our work well. So you can follow issue one and the council for responsible social media um, and again, would love people to go check out pastcosa.org. It's, it's a really important uh, opportunity for parents to look into this important topic and figure out ways to support. So thank you so much, Alex, for making the time to chat today. Um, you're doing so much good for the world and, and for our kids' well-being. So thank you. Uh, grateful for, for the work you're doing, Nikki, and um, for the opportunity to come on and talk to you. And to the listeners, thank you for joining us here at Schooling to Death and for being part of this conversation. Uh, there's nothing more important than the mental health and physical health of our children. So I'll be here to support you through this time and I'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening. Thank you.